0: This is Lost or Found with Dr. Michelle Choi, the podcast where we think about how we can live healthier, happier, and more fulfilled lives. Here's your host, Dr. Michelle Choi. Hello, folks. Welcome back to the show. We're a new podcast. And I just wanted to say that we made it to Episode 21. Small celebrations could indicate survival. I'm really thankful to all of you who continue to support this podcast, and thank you for coming back to listen to more. I never thought that I would share my voice publicly, considering how awkward I was for most of my life. But hey, we can all change for the better. And that's what this podcast is about learning to be advocates for ourselves and ultimately our health and well being. Because the ultimate truth is, you deserve the best life possible. I don't mean this in an asshole kind of best life possible, but the kind of best life where you find your life highly meaningful, fulfilling, beautiful, and healthy. Things that ultimately money can't buy. And sometimes the biggest barriers to our happiness is not others or what we don't have, but our own selves. Like, if you don't think you're worthy of happiness, well, that's the life you're creating. What if you're totally absolutely, honestly worthy of happiness. And life is just merciful like that if you're merciful to yourself. Well, that's a path that I'm on right now. I'm wondering what will happen if I'm merciful to myself and think more positively than negatively, even if it's easier to think more negatively. Anyway, like I said, I'm a work in progress. Lost or Found podcast is on Facebook, and if you're on Instagram, please follow me at Michelle underscore Choi underscore MD for updates, quotes, and uncomfortable short videos. In terms of the videos, I notice it's much easier if I just lower my expectations by a lot. Then nothing is that bad, even if it seems really bad. But just wanted to let you know, if you're cringing, I'm likely cringing too on the inside. And for today's show, I'm sure you've come into contact with an energy vampire before. They're exhausting. It literally means someone who drains your emotional energy. And if you think about the imagery behind a vampire, they insert their sharp teeth into you at your expense and ultimately leave you for dead. With an energy vampire, it could be a more drawn-out kind of death, but still really unpleasant and draining. If there's a person or people in your life where encounters cause you to wonder if you have anything more to give at that moment, then they are likely energy vampires. And sometimes these behaviors could be really toxic, as well as emotional and dramatic. Energy vampires feed off your emotional energy. You're always helping them and they may not help you. But if someone is draining your resources you ultimately can decide if you need to protect yourself. Because if someone is taking away from you, it can have a noticeable effect on your well-being and health. That's why it's important to recognize these behaviors and then perhaps work to remove them. The key thing about life is that you can always say no. Which makes me wonder, why don't we teach our kids to say no more? Ultimately, it could be better for their health. Why say yes if you're scared or uncomfortable? I realize the word no could be really inconvenient, but if you don't protect you, who is going to protect you? But anyway, I mean it. A relationship with a vampire is at your expense, and sometimes you just have to say the word no. Establishing boundaries help. I discovered boundaries late in life. It's like putting walls up around you to protect you against any energy vampire's efforts or toxic behaviors. But if you have a very seasoned energy vampire, they can chisel at this wall, just saying. Sometimes boundaries are not enough. If they're still hurting you despite the boundaries, then you know definitely it's not enough. And then the question becomes, Do you need to remove that person entirely from your life? And if you're a real empath, you'll feel guilty about this. I really believe in healthy social connections for the good of society. But let's be honest, there are certain connections that are really painful. I think our priorities, no matter what, should be ourselves first. Meaning, you're here in this life to learn about you to take care of yourself, and really do your good in the world. However, if you're trying to help someone or do good in the world when you're barely taking care or protecting yourself, then you've missed a major step there, and your efforts may not go far since you didn't do one of the fundamental steps, which is to take care of yourself first. How can we really take care of our children if we neglect ourselves or feel like we have nothing to give? Alternatively, what could you be capable of if your soul tank was fuller? And perhaps the other truth is, we can't fix other people's lives. We can only fix our own. Our expectations need to change with an energy vampire. You are only responsible for your own life, and you don't have to carry their burden if you don't want to. You don't have to pay attention to what you do not have control over. But you do have control over your own life, and you can steer it the way you choose. And today I'll be speaking with Lisa Campion, who is a Reiki master teacher, energy healer, and psychic counselor about energy vampires. In her work as a psychic counselor, she writes, Your soul is the most amazing part of you, and your soul is the essential part of you that holds your core essence. She has written the book, The Art of Psychic Reiki, and most recently, she released her new book called Energy Healing for Empaths, where she talks about our sensitivity, ultimately as a superpower waiting to happen. Welcome to Lost or Found, Lisa. I'm so grateful for the opportunity to speak with you today. Oh, Thank you so much for having me here today, Michelle. Thank you. And before we begin, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I've been
1: working as a psychic since I was 19, um, which is a whole interesting story, like how I got started on that. And um, nowadays, my my work is really about training psychics, healers, and empaths to fully step into their gifts, because I believe more than anything that the world needs all the healers it can get. So what I do is train I train people how to really manage their gifts if there are sensitives, empaths, healers, and psychics.
0: And did you know from an early age that you had the gift then?
1: I did. Yeah. I grew up um, in the 70s and 80s here, just outside of Boston. And, um, you know, back then there was like, there were no psychics on TV. There were no new age bookstores. There was like and I could see always see things, hear things, sense things feel things of my all my clairs are pretty much open. And I just you know knew I knew that I had to be quiet about it because back in the day in that time, you know they put you in a mental hospital if you were seeing angels and talking to dead people and seeing colors around people, that was like what crazy people did, you know. So I um, I learned how to hide it. it. I spent really the first 20 years of my life trying to figure out how to turn it off. You know, and I I was really lucky in a lot of ways. My parents were hippies and they were sort of spiritual seekers. So they
0: did a lot of things that helped me. And did they also have the gift as well?
1: I think everybody in my family is a little bit of it, but not to the level that I that I do. So they were kind of open to the idea. They weren't like freaked out about it, but I don't think they knew what to do. You know, I had a sort of a turning point in my life when I was about 10. It was 1974 and my, parent, my hippie parents took me to, they wanted to study transcendental medita- meditation. So we went to this temple and I met Maharishi Yogi, who is the founder of transcendental meditation. And he um, said something to me that sort of was a changing point in my life at 10 years old, which was, he looked at me and he was speaking through a translator, you know, and he said, hmm, there's something about you. Like if you had grown up in my country, we would know what to do with you, but his country, India, but here in America, they're just going to think you're strange. But you got to hang in there. You have a gift, and y- you know it's going to be okay. And when you're an adult, you're going to help a lot of people. So you need to really just like stick survive. With it. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, thank you, somebody, for telling me. Like you know, it's kind of, and I had relatives—my grandmother and and my mom—even were helpful and sort of. Helping me learn how to like modify things, and strangely enough, I got a lot of my spiritual training by watching horror movies. When I was like really? twelve, yeah, when I was like twelve, <laughs> I I snuck in. And my parents wouldn't let me go to see the movie Poltergeist because they were like, "It's too scary for you." And I snuck in with my friend. Like my friend, uh, my friend's parents took me, and um, and there was this psychic, you know, in the in the movie, and. I'm like, oh my god, that's a thing! You can do that? Like, that's the job? That's a profession? Like, I was like, <laughs> mind blown, you know? And um, and she gave this little like five minute talk on like what dead people are and why what a ghost is and why they get stuck. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh my god, mind blown! Thank you, somebody, for telling me this. And um, and after that, I became addicted to watching horror movies.
0: Um, that's remarkable. I, I know, and I
1: I learned some stuff that that was true, and a lot of stuff that was not true, but. It gave me like a um, like the beginnings of
0: my paranormal education. <laughs> At twelve, were you scared by the idea of the pol- poltergeist?
1: You know, I, I saw a lot of things that were pretty hard to see my whole life. Um, so I saw I saw beautiful things. Like I saw I would see, and I'm a visual psychic, so that's my primary thing. Um, and I think you know, I say like when you're a little kid, it's like, do you really want to know what the growly thing under your bed actually looks like? <laughs> Or that it may actually exist? I know, No, right? I don't want no, to know. You don't want to know. Like, it's like, you know, and I, I would see things, scary things, ghosts, lots of spirits of the dead and um, other shadowy kind of things. But I also saw beautiful things. I also saw angels and, you know, be- beautiful um, spirits and beautiful energy around people. Some people would let glow because I, I could see auras. Like when I was, I think I was in sixth grade and I told people I could see auras and then nobody talked to me until ninth grade.
0: Or is there kind of like what you emanate, that energy that you emanate from oneself? Is that correct? Yeah. It's like,
1: so it's our energy field. Like we have this like energy that extends beyond our physical body. And that's, um, I could see it. I could see colors around people. And I just thought everyone could, I don't know. I didn't think it was a big deal, but um, word got out and, and and nobody talked to me until ninth grade. So. <laughs> and look
0: how great you turned out. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, yeah, well. It's been a journey. And now I feel really strongly about helping other people learn. Um, Like I learned School of Hard Knocks. I learned everything the hard way. Um, Really stumbling through things. I may have had some really great teachers along the way, thank God. But um, a lot of it I did learn School of Hard Knocks style. So I feel really passionately about helping people who are going through psychic openings, which a ton, ton, ton of people are right now. Um, learn the, a lot easier <laughs> a lot easier than I did so it's it's really um and I think that you know incoming generations are much more psychic I was like an extreme psychic for my generation sort of a gen Xer you know and um and though all the generations that are coming in earlier than like y- younger than me are the level of psychic ability that I have is normal for them where I was sort of like you know it was an extreme thing for that so and even like the kids that are com- being born now and that are their small children now are just each generation seems to be more and more and more sensitive, more psychic, more empaths are being born. And I think that we're in this shift in human consciousness that is, um, waking up a lot of people's know, like, um, psychic gifts, their empathy. So people are recognizing that maybe they're an empath, that they're sensitive, that their psychic gifts are, are, are blasting open. And, um, and they and, and they need help and training, you know. Yeah, and I, I
0: mean. think perhaps even in our society, like the paradigm of life as we know it, I think it may perhaps need to be healed, you know, with people.
1: Mm. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I think people are are becoming more and more open to spirituality, like thinking about well, what's what's really true? What do they really believe? There's a little more open mindedness to these experiences you know i i just recently um saw a gallup poll from just a couple of years ago they, they interviewed like a couple thousand people like they do with gallup polls and they um what they found was that 80 percent of the people that they interviewed had had some kind of psychic experience had some sort of uh experience they couldn't understand and that like of those 80 percent like 70 percent wouldn't tell anybody
0: it's true like I'm one of those seventy percent. I think don't aren't we all born with some kind of some intuition? It's just that either we shut it down or not. I think so.
1: Yeah. So you know, to me, like I don't, I don't think we would have evolved very well as as a species without I- intuition. You know, I think it's like an evolutionary advantage to be intuitive. And intuition is uh, like I make a distinction between intuition and psychic. So intuition is our inner knowing. It and it, it can be almost like an instinctual knowing. It's like the body knowing. You know, like your body will have a strong sense of what's going on. Your body always knows what's real, what's true, whether there's danger or not danger. You know, and and then there's the feelings. So our felt our emotions are are give us a lot of inf- intuitive information. And up and our um, we you know you might say I don't have a good feeling about that, right? that's the feeling sense and then the knowing which is the gut knowing like i don't know why i know i just know that's like we talk about it in our gut um and it is that's where it is those three things together the body the feeling and the knowing represent our intuition everyone has that you know and everyone i think has a strong degree of it it's just whether some people are more thrown to an analytical viewpoint you know and some people are more creative intuitive however wherever you are there's um you can increase your intuition by paying attention to it. You know, by making sure that you're listening to your intuition, um, following the hits that you're getting. And, you know, we, we turn it off when we ignore it and we turn it on when we pay attention to it and act on it. Not I mean I don't mean act on every crazy
0: little thing. kitty's really cute, by the way.
1: She's <laughs> no, on every call, every Zoom call, every <laughs> every radio show I'm I'm on, she's just
0: yeah, because I think like, you know, when it does happen, <laughs> it is really scary, you know? Yeah, well, especially the psychic thing
1: can be super scary. Intuition, I don't feel like scares people as much. You know, we we ignore it, but I don't think we get scared by it. Yeah. Psychic, we get scared by it. Psychic is like really like, you you know, that you see a ghost or you you have like an experience with a relative that have, has passed away. You know, like you wake up in the middle of the night and dead Uncle Fred is standing at the foot of your bed, you know? like that's um that's freaky to people you know you feel like you go into a place and you feel uncomfortable like you know the psychic thing is psychic is sort of when we perceive information that's coming from outside of us intuition is our inner sense psychic is outside you know we're, we're perceiving and I, I do actually love the concept of extrasensory perception because it feels very true to me that some that psychics I just did air quotes if you in yes, case you're wondering. <laughs> Psychics <laughs> are people who are um, are like absorbing, they're processing more of the sensory data than other people. You know, there's studies that say, well, we, we process about 10% of the sensory data that we get. We filter out the stuff that's not relevant to us in terms of what we're hearing and feeling and seeing and sensing. And that site, so what extrasensory perception is, is those people process a higher degree of the sensory input that we're getting, you know, um, more quickly. And so it, it just, we're sort of more tuned into the environment. I think that's actually quite accurate.
0: Yeah. And I guess without knowledge, it could be really, really overwhelming, I would imagine, but I think it's really great that there's more awareness and that there's, you know, institutions like Reese Institute that where you can learn more about this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And the, and the, um, places where i'm studying you know i teach too so i teach a tremendous amount of psychic development classes and i train like i i have beginner level classes intermediate level classes and actually classes for people who want to work professionally as psychics and healers um so now and that was just unheard of like even a couple years ago like i I wouldn't be able to um 10 years ago five years ago that nobody was doing that It it wouldn't have been a thing and now yeah there's it is. And that's, I think.
0: And like the- you said, in the 70s, you would have been institutionalized for saying right. what you saw, you know. Lots of people were. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so I know uh, we, we were going to talk about energy vampires today. Lisa, can you describe energy, what energy vampires are?
1: You bet. So
0: I think this is a topic that's come okay.
1: up as more and more people identify as being sensitive. You know if you know you're an empath if you know you're a sensitive person or the highly sensitive person um, that there, there's sort of this connection or um, continuum between people who are highly sensitive the empaths and energy vampires and if you um, know anything about like nar- narcissists so energy vampires just sort of fall into the category of it's another way of looking at people with really narcissistic behavior and there's been a lot of also conversation about nar- these days about narcissists and psychopaths and a lot of books written about it. A lot of um, people are sort of waking up to this pattern that we have between basically people. There are some people in the world who are givers, and that tends to be empaths, healers, psychic sensitives, and some people in the world who are takers. You know, it's and there's a natural polarity there that doesn't have to be a big Giant problem, but when when you get to the extremes of those polarities, like the real extreme ends, you have the super sensitive empath and the sort of like psycho narcissist psychopath, you know. And so, I mean, I, I guess the simple way we can define energy vampires are people who have that tendency to be takers and really um, don't have a lot of <clears throat> like really able to tune into the fact that maybe they're overtaking, you know, they're over consuming the people's energy they don't always know that and and i think it's relevant these days because so many people as they're waking up to the idea that they're sensitive um realize that there's a pattern in their life of attracting these narcissistic sort of people who consume their energy and uh, does that make sense does that yeah does that could be a good
0: explanation. it's kind of like more of like i guess the way i see energy vampires it's kind of like a description of their action in a way isn't it yeah like like yeah. kind of like I, I don't want to say it this way but kind of like the parasite parasite only benefits one way not the other mm-hmm. you know it's not like this uh you know every both parties benefit but would that be correct totally
1: and that's a great term for it that's a really great great way to describe you know, to describe them as parasitic. And, you know, kind of, a, it's kind of a one way relationship. You know, you give, they take. And until we learn how to set boundaries, which is basically what we have to do, when we come in contact with these people, um, and, and I, I mean, I want to also say there's, there's a continuum here. So there's a part of this conversation, we're not dealing with a pathological, we're not dealing, we're dealing with like, personality types that are within the normal range of human behavior that we don't have to freak out about. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
1: and, and then we get to the extreme ends of the, of that spectrum and we get into some really like crazy, you know, destructive, unhealthy energy patterns that we maybe really do have to like, where we really need hardcore self, de- psychic self-defense And that, you know, just a couple of years ago, there was a, like a, a whole bunch of books being written about psychopaths, psychopaths among us, you know, and it's um, and psych- like psychopathy is sort of the extreme edge of energy vampires where people are really like, and that's relatively rare. So mm-hmm. I think maybe, one, you know, a few times in your life, you might encounter somebody who's a true
0: psychopath. Do you think there are a lot of uh, psychopaths who are able to function in society? Absolutely. Yeah. Not only do I think that, but I this is a sad statement
1: to say, but I think our, our current society here in America, if you live if you're living in America, favors psychopaths and narcissists. Like celebrates them.
0: Kind of beautiful on the outside, but totally horrific on the inside, on the inside. kind of thing. Yeah. You don't know what's on the inside.
1: That's right. You know, but so the glory on the outside. Mm-hmm, celebrities and people who who have like star status are often like a lot. I mean, I'm not saying all of them, because some of them are wonderful people, but that um you know the sort of obsession we have about celebrity the, the celebrities and the narcissistic behavior a lot of them have we think that's cool
0: yeah it's true they're everywhere you know and we what do we really learn from that you know mhm exactly do you think there's only uh is there basically one kind of energy vampire or are there others as well
1: there's as far as i can tell four kinds so we can break it down into four. And the the most think the thing that people talk about the most and that's the most rare, but it's sort of like sparks to everyone's mind, is what I call the predatory energy vampire. And there what we're what we've been talking about, the real psychopaths, mm-hmm. the, the extreme narcissism, sort of like people fall in the, you know, in the in the class B personality disorder spectrum, they really will do damage. So they they have no empathy for other people. They're they're con men or women, con people who's you know look at other people as sort of targets or sort of you know they're um see other people as as a resource or an asset that they're going to sort of suck everything out of and and it can be your energy it can be your time your money the food in your fridge the gas in your car your credit (laughs) like you know whatever you've got you become a supply so in the in the Narcissist recovery conversation the were called empaths are called, you know um, We're called like batteries or narcissistic supply Like -hmm. you're you're full of resources and they will sort of consciously make target you and make an effort to con you scam you drain you I Think this is what most people think about with energy vampires and fortunately, it's the um, It's the
0: least common it's pretty rare to get to that level.
1: Yeah, you like you may have one or two encounters in your life with somebody like that. If you have more than that, you've you know, you've really got a pattern you've got to work through. Um <laughs> you need some help with with that pattern, but um you know, it's I think if you have like a really narcissistic parent when you're growing up, you may sort of attract narcissist heavily narcissistic partners. We know we know that. We can work that out in therapy, but this is sort of a real different level. And, th- and those people are scary to me. They're they're um those predatory ones, they're not redeemable in a way, which is sad to say, hate to say that people aren't redeemable. Cause I don't want that to be true, but a lot of times they're, um, they'll, they're not willing to work on themselves because they don't see that they have a problem. They don't think there's a problem with their behavior. If you have a problem with your behavior, you're the problem and they'll easily ditch you when you stop supplying them. They just sort of throw you to the curb and without any remorse, because the definition of a psychopath is to be somebody without remorse, without empathy, right? And they'll just go
0: find another supply. They'll find another battery. So because they, they're they not even aware that there is a problem, they may not be willing to change or that change may not be possible. Po-
1: change is, po- is very rarely possible with the true psychopath because they just don't think there's a problem with their behavior. They're, if you have a problem, that's your problem.
0: Yeah. It's kind of like a perp- a person who's like permanently stuck in the toddler state. You know? yeah, that's a great way to think about it. Yeah. they're But they're like 60. They're stuck, like in, the, 60. <laughs> they're
1: stuck <laughs> in the terrible twos. Like me, 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 mine, 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 you know? like it's, And they don't sort of progress beyond that. And I see it as a, um, I don't know, this is just a theory I have. I don't know if it's true. It's sort of my evolution of the soul, like how we evolve as souls on this planet, that... That this is a planet, this dimension that we live on planet Earth is a nursery school for warrior spirits. So there's a lot of warrior types down here, fighters, you know, and that we come onto this planet to learn compassion and that brand new baby souls on planet Earth are really narcissistic. They're really about this um, power, sex and money, getting, getting greed, getting collecting those resources. It's a little bit like Game of Thrones you know for newbie newbie souls
0: the total lack of morality even yeah right the lack of morality lack of compassion lack of empathy
1: and this just power the desire to accumulate power um power sex and money like kind of however you combine those things together um and and that that's very common for new souls they don't really understand that there's consequences to their actions or karmically, or in, you know, in the moment, cause and effect, kind of like, if, if you're a jerk, people do not like you. It's not really like a thing they think about. Um, or that people's feelings aren't matter, and it, or people matter as, as in general. And then I think as we progress through our evolution, spiritual evolution, we go to sort of in the middle state, middle soul stage, where we often choose, we choose to experience the, I call it shoe on the other foot. So we'll have a, a lifetime, and this is just assuming that you believe in reincarnation and, and past lives. Um, you might choose to experience a shoe on the other foot so that in order to learn compassion. So, let's say in your middle, in your new soul days, you own slaves, for example, um, and you don't think there's anything wrong with that. What's wrong with that? It's lining my pockets. It's all good. Whatever. I don't care about how people feel. Then, in your middle soul days, you might choose, your soul might choose to be a slave you know, to experience shoe the shoe on the other foot. And that's when people learn compassion. They're like, oh, this being a slave sucks. I hate it. And that, therefore, I feel compassion for everybody. It must suck for everybody else. Who's, Would
0: you, you know, call that period like elementary school? Then there's a toddler phase. And then that, that period where the shoe is on the other foot, is that like elementary school kind of thing? That's
1: a perfect example. And then if we go to grad school, old souls. Old souls um, are really... Intrinsically empathic, you know. So we've learned compassion. We've learned empaths know that other people's feelings matter. Empaths know that we're all connected. Empaths know that I can't hurt me without hurting you. I can't hurt you without hurting myself. That we're connected in this um, web of life together—the animals and the planet and and the people—and sort of revere the sanctity of life more than. And the sanctity of the human spirit becomes their highest spiritual value. Compassion and empathy become their highest spiritual value. And then we become we, we very much into service. So I think that we can also look at it that way. And I find it a useful analogy because I feel like it takes some of the judgment out of things. Like we don't get mad at kindergartners for being in kindergarten. We have to set strong boundaries with them. It's like better that we don't give them a box of matches. Maybe it's better if we don't give them the presidency of, you know, <laughs> or something like, that, you know, but um, Sadly, it seems to happen like over and over again, but you know, I, I mean, we, but we, we don't feel like, oh, that's an, it's not, is it evil? It's, I don't know. You know, like I find it useful to look at that You when a toddler throws a fit, you, you know, you set a boundary, you send them
0: to your room, you don't take it personally and freak out. Like yeah. you just go into that mode. And I guess like what you're saying, there's another perspective in which to look at someone's actions. Is it coming from love or fear or, you know, misknowledge?
1: Or just not even fear, but just like the need—the need to be for power, mm-hmm. power, yeah. right? You know that I want what I want is—I'm is not sure that comes from fear. Maybe it yeah. does.
0: It's just sort of like—that's <laughs> a little bit intrinsic, but yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, I,
1: and and what we—I think—is sensitives where we fall short, and what we need to really learn is how to set boundaries, right? And with this predatory type the boundary has to be rather extreme because there's not a lot of arguing with them, negotiating with them, like getting them to change their behavior and because they don't have remorse really. And once you stop giving them what they need, they just move on. They just move on to somebody else.
0: Do you think the predatory type is uh, capable of self-reflection?
1: You know, honestly, there are times and I Talked and written about this topic a lot, so I have a book coming out in February called um, of twenty twenty one called Energy Healing for Empaths, which is really a lot about this topic. Um, there's a whole chapters written on this, you know, this whole thing we're talking about today. And and I, as I was writing about it and speaking about it um, on the radio a lot, I got a lot of um, I got way more response from people who are like, I'm an energy vampire. I know I am. And I don't want to be what do I do? Way more than I thought I would. And it was so um, interesting to me. And I was like, wow, you know, you really, that's incredible that you're learning it. And it's like, there are certain, there's a small percentage, I think, of people who are know that don't like that about themselves and and want to learn want to learn empathy. And I, I know that there are quite a few people, authors, coaches, educators who teach empathy. You know, and they see empathy as something that can be taught. Um, you know, my focus is working on people with people who are already empaths, who already know their empaths and are, need like high level, high levels of shielding and boundaries and, you know, understanding. To understand it's really hard for an empath to understand a psychopath, you know, an, an energy vampire. We just are not wired that way. It's like hard. We can't even almost imagine that somebody is that way we always think about how other people are going to feel before we say or do anything
0: yeah I think as empath you feel love more and you feel pain more too at the same time exactly
1: yeah so you it's just our natural wiring it's like I would I mean I'd never say do something on purpose to hurt another person so it's almost like we have this night naivete in a way that we can't quite believe in that you know that's and so we almost like never see it coming you know and when it happens, you're like, you you can be like, what? That, that can't be, it can't, that can't have been what I think it, no, I'm going to give that person the benefit of the doubt, you know? And then you get and it's like, right, exactly. You know? And I, I just think, it, so we need to sort of understand, we need to learn how to, um, how to spot this. And I think when you're around a predatory energy vampire, you're going to feel like super tired, super drained. Um, you're going to feel maybe a feeling of dread, you know, um, maybe you have like nightmares about that person. You, you, you know, like if you have this impulse to cover your, your solar plexus, to fold your arms over your solar plexus, that um, people will make an energetic connection with us there, sort of wh- where they put an energy cord and sort of pull, pull or take our energy. Sometimes I think people get a, a pain or a low headache in, the back, in their occiput in the back of their head. When they're around that, and it's it's just if a person is a taker, 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 and never has anything to give back, and then becomes abusive uh, when you don't give. So they'll manipulate, they'll cajole, they'll flatter, and when that doesn't work, they tar- they turn.
0: You know, it's the carrot and the stick. If the carrot doesn't work, they got a stick. You know, (laughs) I think that's pretty pretty remarkable because before even our mind can kind of make sense of it, I think our bodies feel it first. Like you described, Mm -hmm. like the exhaustion, the feeling overwhelmed, the feeling like you have nothing left to give, like your body's already telling you that something's wrong. And I think if that feeling doesn't go away for like, I don't know, after a day and it keeps on persisting, I think that's an indication that something really may be wrong. Yes, exactly. You know? Um. So when you, if you do
1: come up with this and you're not sure, I really recommend that you look into the nar- narcissist abuse um, recovery. It's a there's a whole body of work, books, YouTube videos, um, about like am I am I with a narcissist? You know, and we can just swap out energy vampire for that term, right? And how to tell, and then what to how to recover. There's like a huge recovery group International recovery group of like what do you, what do you do when you've been like run over and by one of these people who and sometimes we can be in a relationship for years and years like you know 20-year marriage or you know 15 years of work at a company where your boss has been doing this for you or one of your children it can be it can be any relationship close relationship or people that you have that can do this and because we're empaths are so kind we just sometimes don't see it until until we're really like, you know, roadkill kind of. Um, so if you do feel like that has been happened to you, I, I strongly urge you to look into the narcissist abuse stuff and find some help, get some help. There are therapists who specialize in it. You know, there's support groups you can join. There you know, there are workshops you can go to with people who's, who've written books about this topic. But basically we we're going to make the assumption that you just have to get away from that person. There's no working it out.
0: It's true. You know, the way you described um, you know, the victim of the predatory uh energy vampire, roadkill. I think I think that's like such an appropriate term. It really does feel like roadkill. And it, there's a huge recovery process. How many times does one need to be flattened, you know? And and then to the point where it really is too late.
1: Well, those people often have, if you're in a long-term relationship with with a person like this chances are really good. You're physically sick. So I worked with this woman. She was like a kind of middle age, probably in her mid forties. And she looked like she was 15 years older. Like I, I would have put her in her sixties. You know, she was telling me like, I, I do Reiki, so I'm an energy, you know, medicine practitioner. And she would come in for, for Reiki, for energy, for counseling, for psychic work, which is sort of the mix of of things that I do with people. And and she'd be like, I'm so tired, I'm so sick, like I have an autoimmune, immune problem, I have digestive issues, I have like some, she had some weird blood disorder, they couldn't figure out where it was coming from, like low blood, low iron, low platelets, they didn't know why. Um, she was super depleted, and to the point where she would have sort of periodic transfusion energy, like blood transfusions, and vitamin transfusions, and all this kind of thing going on. And and so I'd sort of plump her up, you know, like I'd get her back, you know, get her and she'd feel a little better. She'd come back like a month later in the same state. And I was like, what is going on here? I couldn't figure out. I'm a pretty good medical intuitive. So I can usually like figure out what's happening with somebody. And I was like, I don't understand what's happening here. And then one day her husband came to pick her up. My office, She was too tired to drive. Oh, wow. So, you know, her husband and he was like 45, but he probably looked 35 and he was like this. Like glowing, radiant, handsome, like gorgeous guy. And a lot of times the predatory vampire, vampires are very attractive people. That's you know? on their
0: tools, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. Um, and I could see this energy cord, like psychically see this energy cord between them. It looked like this big, fat, umbilical, cord, red umbilical cord connecting them and that I could like already see him pulling energy out and she was like already deflating, you Mm know, and I was like, Oh my God, this is it. This is what's going on here. And it took her like maybe another six months or a year to get away from him. And it was, you know, a whole team, like her therapist, Mm -hmm. her psychiatrist, her doctor, like worked, you know, it was becoming clear this was an abusive relationship for other reasons than just the energetic vampire stuff. Finally, she split with him and he, found another relationship in like a nanosecond and eventually she like recovered her health recovered and her um you know all these mysterious disorders just
0: went away how remarkable you know I really do think like relationships are kind of like an energy exchange and with like the parasite only one party benefits you know the other party I think if she had stayed
1: with him, she she would have been dead in another year. I
0: think that, I think you're right. I think he could have killed her. You know, maybe not physically, but with everything that was going on in her body, just
1: to drain her to the point where she she her health yeah. was bro- permanently broken. I and I just think she wouldn't have made it. And she you know she did recover she, so thankfully too. So that's that's sort of an example of the predatory type. There, there is another type that's much more common. That's the victim. I call the victim vampire, and this is going to be way more common. And the victim vampires are people who are are really they've learned somewhere along the way that they get a lot of traction. And this is a kind of provocative statement, so I apologize if I offend anybody by this, but um, they they just sort of learned some traction by um, leaning into their victim status as a kind of currency. And often they do have things that are really wrong with them. I'm not saying they don't have issues. They can have, you know, really problems. But the thing is they don't seem invested in solving their problems. They don't want to work on their issues. They don't want to get better in a way because they're getting a lot of traction out of being ill, being sick, being depressed, being whatever. Um, Carolyn Mace talks about this in this incredible book she wrote called Why People Don't Heal. She calls it and she calls this phenomenon woundology, which is like the the science of using your your wounding to get traction in the world, to get attention, to get um, energy from other people. And, and these people, for the most part, I would say three quarters of them don't consciously do this. It's an unconscious energy pattern. Um, They don't consciously wake up and say, how can I suck the life out of Michelle today? You know, they don't, (laughs) they're not doing that. The energy, the predatory one might do that. um, But these victim ones don't do that. They just have learned a way to get by in the world. They're sort of Mm -hmm. hustling, you know, they're sort of like trying to figure out and, and they, they know like if they're sick or if they're depressed or if they're, they have some like, I can't get off the couch today. Can you, you know, can you come over and whatever? You. X y and z and we probably are, we're more likely to be um around this and you know like let's say for example you have a friend she's in a terrible relationship with her husband she calls every day she calls at least a couple times a week and she talks 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 about the same problems she has with her husband she has no um you give her some advice you listen 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 you give her some advice she never takes it she never actually get, go, moves forward in any direction she seems to enjoy the drama trauma, um that, you know, there's so there's no real forward movement. And after you get off if you talk for her, you listen and listen and listen for an hour. And she never asks you how you're doing. She never, you know, oh, oh, are you doing okay? Oh my okay, <laughs> okay. You know, like, um, and then um then you have the repeat conversation like every couple of days. Um and you you hang up the phone, you're like, oh my God, I need a nap. Oh my God, like I just want to lie down on the it's floor. Exhausting. Just,
0: like it, you
1: know, yeah, exactly. And that um is also this is a different kind of energy vampire. Does it does this make yeah. sense? you know, I may know, ask you, if
0: someone's not invested in their own healing and they're like continuing to pour acid on their wounds, if, if that kind of relationship become toxic then? Yeah, I think it is
1: rather toxic. Um and and uh, certainly draining. There's a huge energy drain and um And, you know, I think because empaths are, are, we're the healers of the world. We tend to attract people like this um, because we have the soul of a healer and people who don't feel good and want to take, you know, want to feel better. Like if you have this juicy, yummy heart and, you know, and this, all this lovely compassion to somebody like that, you're like energy free lunch. You're like a free lunch ticket.
0: If you allow it. Right you allow it
1: and we do because we care about people we don't we're like it's also hard for us to like wrap our heads around it like how, how like that people really would choose to continue to be in the in this drama and the drama that they, and oftentimes they create drama if there isn't any available they like whip some up you know um and and so this type of person so so much more common you're very very likely to have a few people like this in your life and i don't think we need to ditch them Um, there, there really be nobody left, (laughs) not really, but you know, like, you know, (laughs) um, but you know, I just, we just need like to set really, really strong boundaries of the victim. We have to decide how much it's your mother or your mother-in-law
0: or your, you know, how much we can give and not hurt ourselves in the process. You
1: decide in advance, I'm going to call once a week and I'm going to talk for half an hour That's it, and I'm hanging up and you can often find like a good exercise to do on this topic is if you do like a, I call it the resentment inventory and you write down a list in your journal or your notebook, everything in your life that you feel resentful about anything, any relationship, any, you know, situation where you're feeling resentment, resentment is a sure sign that you are overgiving in that relationship that you're giving, chronically giving more than you're receiving. That's back.
0: a good exercise. If there's so many things that make you maybe mad. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and resentment is a particularly like a, a particular emotion that, um, like, oh, you're like, oh, that person or, oh, that job or, oh, that committee, you know, mm-hmm. um, whatever we're doing. And when you feel resentment, it's just an, a sign for you to take a step back and redraw the boundary. You don't have to ditch it. You just have to like, take a step back and think about where's my bound. I have to back myself up and, and create a boundary that's, Stronger, sooner, quicker. Yeah, you know, maybe, maybe I'm only going to talk to them once a month. Maybe I'm 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 going to quit that committee. You know, um, where where is your boundary? And ba- a boundary, people often ask me, well, Lisa, what do you mean when you say boundary? And um, I think, because we're not tr- very trained on this, and in our culture in the West here, it's quite rude to have a boundary um, because it really it really is simple. It's saying no. A boundary is like a big fancy word for when you got to say no.
0: Yeah. It's hard in the beginning and I only started seeing it in my forties. It's worth it. <laughs> totally.
1: And I think for sensitive people, what, like what I had to do, cause I'm so sensitive, I, I would say no. And then I would feel all the emotion that the person I said no to is feeling that might be mad. They might be upset. They might be hurt. They might be like, Whoa! You know, and I'd be like, for God's sake, it's easier just to say yes than to deal with their emotion and their, my emotion about their emotion. I call that the empath trap. Um, So we, when we say no, we have to learn how to let the other person, like when you say no to a three-year-old and they have a fit, um, you just are like, well, you're entitled to your feeling, Mm -hmm. you know, like people are entitled to have whatever feeling they have about your no, but that shouldn't stop you from. And if you're an empath, we got to learn how to not absorb the energy, the, the kickback from that right
0: it's so hard to say no but if you kind of walk away or give yourself a moment
1: I just think is we have to find a lot of really nice ways to say no. yeah
0: so and I had to
1: I literally I'm not kidding you practiced in the mirror until I felt comfortable saying them like I'm looking myself in the, in the eye with a, with a big smile on my face no thank you <laughs> he goes a really long way and um no thank you is like my um my go to or oh gee i'd really love you know i'm so happy that you asked me i'd really love to support you in that and right now i just can't manage it but thank you so much for asking or you know finding a lot of that like no one would really be upset if they heard that no right yeah you know i think we have to find nice ways to say no you know um i i wrote this story in my upcoming book but one of my friends she was in miami she was walking right outside her hotel and she she said like like a mugger came up and like tried tried to grab her purse. And she she was so shocked, she looked at him, she and she grabbed it back and she said, No, thank you. <laughs> she she pulled her purse back and like ran into her hotel. And the guy and the guy was a man who was so startled that and so conditioned to no thank you that he just like dropped it and, and ran off.
0: That's hilarious. She got her shit done and she was polite about it. <laughs> She was. It
1: was so strong. No, thank you to that mugging. And it.
0: I know there's other two types, but you know, regarding the victim energy vampire, do you think they're actually hurting? I do. I don't I do.
1: And I I, I think this is a type is much more likely. Some of them are horrified mm-hmm. to find out that they are being a vampire. And then if you tell them, you know, they're like horrified by that. And then they're sort of willing or unable to grow. Some aren't, I mean, sort of have to take it on a case-by-case basis, like, but there there are definitely lots of people in that category who once they figure out that that's what they're doing, want to find another way to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, the other kind is what I call the situational energy vampire. And that, and this is more like, um, I think it's, it's an interesting thing to think about the whole thing about of energy vampires as a, as a process that anyone can fall into rather than a type of person, you know? Um, but situational energy vampires are just anyone who falls on hard times.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like we all sometimes go through phases in life that really bring us down and really take us down to our knees. And it could be illnesses or divorces or lot job loss or pandemics. You know, like, I don't know. We have, we have situations that just take us down and we have nothing to give. And in those moments, we can become like, I remember going through a breakup. A pretty se- a serious breakup enough for like months I was just a train wreck and I'm sure my friends would have been like they like would see my phone call and they'd be like oh, <laughs> God," you know <laughs> and, like, they're like turning off their phones when they see me you know c- calling because I, I just was a mess like and and it passed over with time you know and I think so think about like have you been in a situation if you haven't you could be in the future mm-hmm. Do you have friends that fall into situational the situational energy vampire? Cause they're just going through something really wretched.
0: Like we could all be an energy vampire.
1: Yes, if You're not aware. We could
0: all be, that's right. And I think that it's,
1: um, important if you're, if you're that person that's in a, in a train wreck experience and you're just down, you know, down on your knees, then like what I did was I knew it was too much to talk to the same or needed to talk to somebody every day. Um, and I got a therapist and I, I had like five friends. I would call them each once a week. <laughs> so nobody felt like they were getting like the brunt of that, which would have been like enough to, you know, kill all my friendships. But, um and then I think, you know, when it was over, I I made an effort to give back to those people. Do you know what I mean? Because I feel like in the long run, we need relationships. that are best relationships where there's an an, an equal energy, energy exchange between people equal over time.
0: It's kind of like a give and take, like the ebb and the flow of the relationship.
1: Yeah, and if you're on the heavy take, then be on the heavy give when you recover. And if you know someone that's on the heavy take right now, again, like set your set your boundaries. And I love these things. Like now, there's like care care trains. You know, like those you can sign up for those websites. That's like, oh, somebody somebody passed away. We need a care train. Somebody's in treatment for some medical thing. We need to care. Like. They, they just arranges like who's bringing a casserole that day, you know, like we can kind of even it out well to help people get through these extraordinary circumstances that anyone can, that can bring down anyone.
0: Yeah. I think the key thing is like, you know, I think relationships and our connection to people is super important, but you don't want anyone to take advantage of that relationship. Like a connection is something that we all parties need to foster. But if someone is taking advantage of that relationship, then you know, something is wrong.
1: <laughs> mm, absolutely. I like the idea of sort of an energetic bank account. If you and I have a, a connection, a friendship, a relationship, we have an energetic bank account between us. And there has to be like energy in, energy out, you know, what you put in and what you take out over time, let's say over the course of a year, or over the course of six months, more or less equal. And when there's a chronic energy deficit, which you're going to know because you feel resentment, then that needs to be corrected. It doesn't mean you need to ditch the relationship. It may need to be renegotiated, re in some way. And it's really, I think the one of the most important things about this conversation is that as sensitive people, it's totally on us to set our boundary. No one will be in charge of your boundary except for you. No one should be. No one can be. It's in everyone's interest for you to have a terrible boundary like all your no none of your friends will complain if you have a terrible boundary and <laughs> you're you know chronically overgiving, like and and it no one is going to fix that problem for you you cannot expect the world to quit being the world or people to quit being people but so what there's i think freedom and power and recognizing that it's your it's totally in your control to fix this aspect of your life so that you don't have to be afraid of people, so that you don't have to avoid people, so that you you can walk through the life, your life and have your relationships and connections with people with just power. I mean, I studied martial arts, so I have a couple of black belts, you know? That's awesome. I did that because when I was young, I went to college. Even before I went, I was studying the stuff because I, I didn't want to be afraid, I didn't want to be afraid in the world as a woman. I didn't want to walk around with fear. Sort of counterphobic, actually, you know. Um, so when I'm afraid of something, it kind of pisses me off. And then I do that thing until I'm not afraid of it wow. anymore. That's a true badass. <laughs> but just because I don't want to live in fear. I just it's not really my jam. So I I feel like when I learned how to really set boundaries with people, which was way, way, way harder than getting a black belt, by the way. Um I and I felt really confident in my ability to say no, where when to say yes and when to say no. And that I could handle this gracefully. I stopped hiding. I stopped being afraid of things. I stopped, I don't know, making my decisions around how I'm going to be in the world based on fear and avoidance.
0: I think it's absolutely true because if you don't have boundaries it could be really, really painful. And if you're giving without, without boundaries, that giving's kind of hypocritical. Like you're giving it away, yet you're left with nothing. I think you can give more if you take care of yourself. Absolutely. By protecting yourself. We can't give from an empty cup. Exactly. And what's the last
1: type? The last type are empaths who've been drained so hard that they become energy vampires. This is where like, I always want to like hold everybody's hand. Is this the extreme I'll, I'll case too? That. This is an extreme case. So think about the myth mythology of vampires. How do vampires make other little baby vampires? They find a willing victim. They suck the life out of them. And once that person's completely drained, that person becomes a vampire. <laughs> Does this happen a lot? Yeah, wow. it happens a lot. So I do these workshops, you know, on this topic, and and um and I get all these super sensitive empaths in there, and um a lot of times they're like, the energy of vampires in the world have killed my life, you know, and and I'm like, oh my god, honey, you are the biggest vampire in the room. Do you like know that, you know? <laughs> and then, um and it's it's always a little like hard and shocking to realize that if you let yourself get so drained, if you're an empath and you have nothing left inside of you, you now could be at risk. To become Interesting.
0: But there's more hope for this category, right? Because like the narcissist, the predatory type, they have like not enough, I think, self-reflection or they don't want, they think nothing's wrong. But with this type, isn't there more awareness that they can fix it?
1: Absolutely. And they can fix it. So there's that moment of horror where somebody points out to them that they are now the vampire. Um, and then, they, you know, if you if you practice energy management techniques if you practice the boundaries, you know, if you really learn how to keep your energy tank full, right, your energy bank balance full, um, you can totally change that. Mm -hmm.
0: And you had mentioned this earlier, but with the predatory type, empathy could be the cure for them if they chose.
1: If they chose, for sure. Yeah, to really learn empathy. And there are people that teach that. Like I worked with this once with this young man who had that awareness that he was a, a, an energy vampire. He was a, ve- a veteran, came out of, um, came out of like some pretty tough combat situations in Afghanistan and uh, in Iraq. And he he was pretty jacked up and really- um, Like jacked up in muscles? Well, yes, but also <laughs> like, like PTSD oh, okay. jacked up. You know? <laughs> um, he was like pretty, pe- he had super bad PTSD and he was so needy. He was so needy that he was like really- Sucking off his girlfriend a lot and um, to the, she was a, she was a giver, you know, and he was just in this dire straits I, I mean almost through no fault of his own You know, maybe he had some tendencies to be that way, but his experiences had really like shaking him, you know So he had this moment like his girlfriend said like look you gotta you've got to stop Or I'm leaving and he was like, ah, uh, okay. I want to I want to learn how to fix this and he, he went to therapy. He went into recovery. There were some substance abuse issues going on there. And his therapist pointed out to him that he didn't have any empathy for his girlfriend. He's like, mm-hmm. you you never think about how she feels. And he was like, it, there was this horrifying moment where he realized he'd never thought about how anyone else felt ever in his whole life. And then he needed to learn that. And so he decided, He was, He was. He, it's an incredible story really, but he decided to work, to, he learned Reiki. I taught him Reiki, he learned, Um, Reiki and he decided to volunteer with other veterans because he he volunteered in the VA, he did Reiki in the VA, he was like a peer counselor because he knew that if he didn't practice, he could feel empathy really easily for other veterans. um, That was the easiest population for him. And he knew if he didn't practice it, he wasn't gonna keep it. And he wasn't, in order to learn it, he had to do like over and over and over again. And he's, he learned to kind of open his heart Mm -hmm. and feel empathy for the veterans he was able to translate that into other people. It was incredible. It was an incredible, beautiful
0: story. It was a hard work for him and hard work yeah, for his That's girlfriend. really remarkable. Because that's kind of like a survival of the fittest kind of person then to like go through all that work if he didn't know what empathy was. Yeah. He knew that he wanted to keep his
1: relationship. Mm-hmm. And then in order to do that, he was going to have to learn. And almost in order to recover from his PTSD from his trauma, he was going to have to learn him. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, the tra- training that they get in the military, and I know it was my son, my son was a Marine. They sort of knock the empathy out of you. You can't be a weapon if you have empathy.
0: Yeah. Right? So I wonder I wonder if it happens to doctors. I was thinking too. the same thing. I think it happens in medicine. Like you go in because of empathy yeah, and they tell you to show it, but the way medicine is structured, like even like the training, residency.
1: hmm You can't survive unless you really shut that part down. Yeah. Right? Exactly. I think that's a problem. It
0: is. I think that's a problem. And then, but you're reared into this institution where they tell you to ask open-ended questions, but as a doctor, you know, but really in the office setting, I mean, most of the time the doctor asks you a question because there's no time. It's a yes or no question. It's like it's really suffering in its own way
1: mm. yeah we should re- we should if we were queens of the universe we could reform that well, and I
0: think <laughs> you know like, and I think talking like this I think people should be aware you know yeah me too but oh my gosh Lisa thank you so much it was such an honor to talk with you and you're so knowledgeable thank you so much for joining us today
1: thank you so much Michelle for having me here it was beautiful to speak with you and thank you for letting me you know, talk so long on these, um, on this topic and, and, uh, yeah, it was great fun. I so appreciate it.
0: Thanks for listening to lost or found. Please don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and follow us lost or found podcast on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube.